A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi folks, it's Rick Wilson, and welcome to The Daily Beast's The New Abnormal. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, a left-wing pundit and editor-at-large at The Daily Beast. I'm also an editor at The Daily Beast, a former Republican political strategist, best-selling author, and full-time troublemaker. We're here to have fun, sharp conversations with some of the smartest people in media, politics, business, and science that help make what's happening in the country and the world clearer. I'll try to keep Rick to the minimum number of F-bombs and try to keep our kids, pets, and other wildlife sounds from invading our respective bunkers. Hey, Molly Junkfast. Hi, Rick Wilson. You know, there was a fundamental question in the universe posed last night about me. (laughs) Wait, tell me more. I I think we should let Frau Ingram tell you herself. And I can't imagine that all Democrats, the ones who really do have principles, I don't believe that they sign on to all of it. Well, tonight I'm speaking directly to you. It's time to find a new political home. You want to be with Rick Wilson and that crowd of the Lincoln Project? You know, know, Molly, Twitter may be a hellscape half the time, (laughs) most of the time, 90% of the time. But I will say the dragging Laura received for that was truly (laughs) epic. It was truly delicious. (laughs) It was was rather heartening in this state of constant exhaustion we're in right now to see people like, choice between you and Rick Wilson? Fuck yeah, Rick Wilson. He's got snacks. (laughs) Before we get ahead of ourselves, how are you doing, Rick Wilson? I am alive. I am continually in a forward position. I move without rest or surcease. I make the things. They go on the air. The explosions follow. And life is generally good. Your former employer, one Rudolph Giuliani. Life is going a little less well for Rudy. You know, Molly, I was with Rudy for quite a long time, including some of the messy times in Rudy's career. And in the last 36 hours, let's say, I've spoken to many people from Rudy alumni world. Tell us more. Many of whom I hadn't spoken with for years. Some I've been in contact with, all of whom have noticed the last, I don't know, three years of the, shall we say, the, the decline of dignity when it comes to the mayor. <laughs> that feels very generous. But if you had Rudy touching his d- during a Borat prank on your 2020 hellscape Mad Max mutant cannibal wasteland bingo card, congratulations! <laughs> if Rudy can get tricked by Borat, how likely is he to have been tricked by Vladimir Putin? One gajillion percent. It is a ontological certitude. You could define the fundamental rules of the universe by the same level of percentage that Rudy got played by the GRU or the FSB like a dog. This is a guy who, well, let's break down four conceits of Rudy right now. The first conceit of Rudy is that he is this crafty inside player super lawyer who would never get caught up with a fake Bulgarian actress playing a a Russian reporter who, with her whole like little hottie act going on, was deeply interested in the 76-year-old mayor of former mayor of New York. That sort of Rudy being the canny player, that's conceit number one that I think we can dismiss with this week. Conceit number two is that there's some sort of crafty super lawyering going on with this Hunter investigation. This is 
the same f- shit show that every single Rudy operation since Parnas and Furman and before that, when these people essentially gambled the Trump presidency on trying to, to burn down Hunter Biden, they're just trying to throw bad cards into the pile now. They don't have anything left. The American people, their fuck meter on the Hunter Biden story is at zero. You know what I think is interesting? Rudy is shopping a sex scandal while waiting for his own sex scandal to break. That's the other thing I wanted to point out. Rudy says, oh, they did this because of Hunter Biden. This didn't happen yesterday. This happened months ago. July. Yes. So Rudy knew he had been pranked, that he had been trapped. So, And that's the fourth conceit, is that Rudy is somehow really close to Trump and that They're communicating on all these things and that Rudy's candid with him. You know, if you get caught in something like that or worse, it's probably a good thing if you're the president's free lawyer to let the president know that you um, that you may be on tape touching your junk with a girl you thought was in her teens. He didn't think she was in her teens. I think he thought she was a young conservative reporter. But then Borat ran in. I know all about this prank because I wrote a whole piece about it. But yeah. uh, then Borat ran in and said she's only 15. But I do think fundamentally the idea that a really young, attractive woman wants to get with Rudy seems kind of nuts. You know, listen, there are. Kissingerian. I have no idea. Kissingian? Yeah, I'm not touching this. That, that of Kissinger. I'm not sure how I would actually say it. The famous and apocryphal Kissinger statement about power being the, the most you know potent aphrodisiac, it may or may not be true. But I, I will say this. There clearly is some inverse proportional relationship with these people for power or perceived power and judgment. Because, I mean, this is just... Also, let's also dismiss with the fact that Rudy was the expert on the cyber you guys i wonder if he's not great on cyber i'm guessing at some point he called one of his assistants in and said so deal there's a deal we could do it in nigeria he's a prince apparently i'm related to somebody who died there it would be jerky and idiotic and really stupid a really dumb way to do business if we didn't go to nigeria now i'm giving you guys my terrible rudy imitation because in the 90s and 2000s rudy had a phrase that he particularly loved i I was rehashing this phrase with a with a former extremely senior giuliani official uh yesterday uh, who said would you say it's jerky or idiotic to be caught by Borat? <laughs> <laughs> On the tragic part of the tragic comedy, there was this recognition that the drinking and the financial situation and the whole collapse of of Rudy as a as a potential, you know, attorney general and as a potential secretary of state, all the things he wanted out of this service to Trump had basically crashed and burned. Now, this person theorized that he's been being paid through the LLCs or the campaign or something. We don't know that answer, but apparently the rest of his business is completely collapsed. It's gone. Really? You wouldn't want to be in business with that guy? Call me crazy. By the way, speaking of people- He seems like a good hire. Speaking of people going into business after the campaign, I don't know if you caught the Business Insider story by Tom LoBianco today. No. Everyone's favorite android, Jared Kushner, is shopping, looking for investors on Wall Street and abroad, hint, hint. Um, to help for him Trump, escape? For, no, for Trump TV. Jesus, they're already planning Trump TV. Yep, it's the Jared show. <laughs> Lucky us. 
Trump TV. On The Jared Show, I'm going to stare into the screen for 30 minutes every day. I'm not going to move my face. It's called Jared in the Uncanny Valley. Do we think that Jared will have a show on Trump TV? Because I'm not, I feel like Jared considers himself to be the brains behind the organization. I mean brains in with quotation marks around yeah, it. On a relative scale in Trump world? Right, and with quotation marks around it. Right. No, I'm telling you, the Uncanny Valley with with Jared Kushner every day, he's going to stare at the screen until people like recoil in terror. <laughs> yeah, Trump TV, that's going to be something. I mean, I think that seems inevitable, right? Well, you know, Mark Burnett, I heard this from somebody in Hollywood a couple days ago, Mark Burnett is not kidding about doing a post-White House show with Trump, where Trump still plays the president. What would you do, Mr. President, now that President Biden is doing it? And it's a blurring of reality TV, oh, and an interdimensional portal into a hell none of us can conceive because it is so completely monstrous. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Molly. Yeah? If you were Donald Trump, where would you have a secret bank account? Switzerland? Try again. They they still have actual- Russia? Banking laws. Oh, so close. Is it- is it communist China? It is communist China. Yes. It is but, China. But, Trump, but I thought Trump hated China. He loves China so much <laughs> that he pays more taxes in China than he does in America. Yes, that is not hard, though. No, that's not hard. <laughs> um, but true. But true. Yeah, he was discovered this week to have had business dealings in communist China with the communist regime of communist China. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Tell me more. Who believe in Chinese communism. Does this make Donald Trump a socialist? I think it makes Donald Trump a chai com. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. What was the phrase of the term of art in the 50s? A com simp. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just talk about this for a second. We discover Trump has a secret Chinese bank account, a secret Chinese, you know, that he's paid taxes in China, that he continually accuses Joe Biden of being in the tank for China. Right. What what else am I missing here? Well, I mean, one thing that was pointed out to me by a guy in the tech industry who does a ton of business in China, I talked about this a little bit last night, is that all business in China involves the paying of prodigious bribes to Chinese government officials. This is not an ad for Borat. No, it is not an ad for Borat. The lavish and prodigious bribes that are also large and consequential and yet eye-popping and yet also, also shockingly huge, those bribes... Every American business that's over there ends up doing that. So the Chinese know that Donald Trump's minions, whichever one was assigned to this particular shit show, um, have paid Chinese officials um, large sums of, of the long green, if you will. <laughs> All right. So there was a big fundraising numbers yesterday, and it we saw that Trump raised – million less than Biden in September. Right. Is that bad? Well, look, if you're an incumbent president, you should be able to raise unlimited money. Okay. There there's really should not be an upper boundary on what you can do as an incumbent president. You should be financially equipped from the get-go. You should never be behind the curve. Now, Donald Trump has raised over a billion dollars and their actual cash on hand is at this point dropping through the floor. They're not paying their lawyers. They stopped modeling their data. They're off TV in most all of the swing states now, except for a couple where they're making right. their, their last stand, their Alamo. What's astounding is that Biden's campaign, the cost of their money is so much lower. 
Explain okay. that. Trump's money is costing him, from what we can tell, somewhere around 70 cents on the dollar, which is fucking crazy level. Well, the company that's doing those is charging them what we were told, seven to nine cents per email. And their cost is like 0.04 cents per email or for, per text message. So these guys are making a killing. Same thing with the email fundraising and the phone and solicitation fundraising. Their cost of the money is enormous because all these, you know, he was going to drain the swamp. ripped off, right? Yeah, he's, he's going to drain the swamp. But what he was, was the antelope with the broken leg. And all the creatures are coming out of the swamp and dining on the carcass now. <laughs> Good evening, Molly Chongfast. Hi, Rick Wilson. And we have Mike Madrid here joining us. So I think we all just came out of what is thankfully the last debate experience of the 2020 presidential season. And what are your feelings on it, Molly? I mean, I thought that was horrendous, but I'm curious to know what you guys thought. It's almost worse when Trump tries to be normal than when Trump is just insane. Well, because everything he says is a lie. So... When he acts crazy, it matches the crazy shit he says. But when he acts like a normal president, I mean, not normal, but a little more normal, then you have constantly fact check him in a way that you don't when he's just huffing and puffing and howling and being a lunatic. I think that's right. I mean, Trump was, you know, I always say this. He's not a smart man but he has a degree of like feral cunning. He's like an animal. He's like smells traps around him once in a while. And tonight he recognized that if he did, you know, the same thing he did in the first debate, it was not just the ball game, but a humiliating end that would be the campaign they, they declared over tomorrow if he'd been, you know, Captain Crazy again. He could lie in different gears. I think that's kind of cool. And I, I think, um, I, I think, yeah, the, the worst part is it's exhausting because it lives to fight another day, right? If he had just blown his top and lit his hair on fire and started, you know, stomping on his feet, then we'd be like, okay, it's done. I'm not sure that's true because we have had that experience before and he still has hung on. I mean, his polling isn't great. But yeah, but that's part of the fatigue, right? It's the ghost of 2016 and the guy always does seem to pull the rabbit out of the hat. I think that's right. But I, I think the fact that he did not go completely berserk just gives us kind of this, the, the marathon kind of keeps dragging on. They move the finish line a little bit further down. I mean, I think, look, look, Trump fatigue syndrome is a real thing. It's set in. I think we're all just exhausted by this shit. Do I want to know, do you, Trump said he's going to win the House. Mike Madrid, you have a lot of polling. Is Trump going to win the House? I don't, I don't know what House he's talking about. Maybe the big House. He could be winning a ticket to the big House. I mean, but, it, but it, no. Don't Democrats have like 200 and 200 plus seats? Rick and I were just chatting about this. I mean, I think that the Democrats pick up another between five and nine. I think we're in agreement on that. Which ones, of course, you know, and these are not even really marginal seats. Most of the marginal seats have moved already. So these are, you know, you're cutting into the bone here. Trump is an anchor. Uh, He's going to pull a lot of people down in a lot of different states. There's a lot of senators completely scrambling. Kevin McCarthy's got to be, you know, trying to spin up some sort of optimistic way of looking at, at how he's going to lose even more seats even though every seat out there that Republicans hold are, are pretty, you know, strong R seats, but it's, it's not going to be pretty. But let's let's just say this: the the forty one seats they lost in the twenty eighteen cycle, they were not going to lose that many again. I mean, they burned through all the easy targets, but the five or nine or, or ten that are out there now, you know, that's the, those those are not soft targets, but they're still going to lose a lot more seats. So the lesson that the the beatings must continue until morale improves. <laughs> 
What do you think was the best moment of that debate for Trump? Uh, um. <laughs> I like it when he gets going on the wind. He sounds so unhinged. The fumes from the windmill? Well, he's so obsessed with the wind. You know, he gets so offended because it has to it has to connect to the implanted wig, I think, in some way. But his obsession <laughs> with the wind is just, I almost feel like that was Biden's best setup, was just asking him about the wind. <laughs> I don't know if... I, I don't know that Trump had any good moments. I just don't think he had any bad moments, which I guess we now perceive as good. Look, I, I think he came with a little bit of gusto. And if you believe that, you know, Hunter Biden's laptop has something to do with anything, then he, I'm guessing you probably thought that he looked good and he looked strong. But I don't know that anybody beyond a very shrinking hardcore base believes that. I just don't. I think that there's a question that I haven't like scanned around enough yet, but I have to imagine the Magas are a little disappointed tonight because they have been yelling and screaming all day long about whoever this... This guy that used to know Hunter, you know, he's going to be the, the killer app. It's going to be the thing that ends the campaign. And Trump's going to go out there and rip it apart. And Trump barely knew what he was talking about. I think the, I think the Boogaloo boys are pissed because they didn't get their shout out after the Proud Boys got their right? shout out. I don't know. Biden shouted out his people, the poor boys. The poor boys. Poor boys. The poor boys, out. yes. <laughs> Yeah, there, there was no crazy call to action. I mean, I think that there was probably a lot of you know people on the fringe. The land of the misfit toys was looking for the call to action, and they didn't get it. No one got it. <laughs> right? By God, I'm with the Lower Michigan Boogaloo <laughs> Militia, and he didn't say anything. I'm I'm staying home now. Trump did say a lot of crazy stuff, though, like New York is a ghost town, and everyone's moving from there. And I mean, there was a lot of crazy stuff. We've talked about that before. How, how do you survive in the in the radioactive wasteland that is New York? It's funny, actually, because my daughter was in the room and she's like, this is bullshit. And she's <laughs> 12. Um, but he did say a lot of crazy stuff. Do you think that Biden hurt? I mean, Trump, I think, thought he got a gotcha moment when Biden said that we have to get rid of fossil fuel. Yeah, you know, it's funny because Trump, his campaign immediately tweeted out something or, or they put it out somewhere. Somebody mentioned it to me that there are 400,000 jobs in Pennsylvania regarding fracking and, and natural gas and oil. And I was like, that number seems a little high. Well, according to the actual figures, it's 23,000 people. And right. Mike and I were talking about this earlier. If you're a voter who's moved by the subject of fracking, you were already voting for Donald Trump. Yeah. I don't think that it does anything particularly powerful for them. I thought an interesting moment in the debate was the character question. Like 1992 was the first time, like with Bill Clinton, that, you know, there's this contract, contrast between Bill Clinton and George Herbert Walker Bush. But, you know, being the good you know, New England patrician, George Herbert Walker Bush just kind of sidled around it and talked about his biography. This is the first time probably in presidential history where you had somebody just basically say, look at his character. <laughs> this guy's just a bad dude. Look at my character. Right? Let's, just, let's just call it what it is. One of us is of good character, one of us is bad character. And if you can't see that, then the problem's on you. I kind of like that part. <laughs> yeah. I think COVID hovers over everything. And I think those initial those initial moments where Trump was saying, oh, we're going to live with it. And now I'm immune. And there's a vaccine coming tomorrow. You know, all that stuff. It just seemed to me like, you know, he just didn't have an answer. He just didn't have a real answer. I just don't think it worked. I mean, it is this continual thing that he can't make a case for himself for a second term. He can't really make a case for himself for a first term. He sort of tried when he said, you're the reason I got it. You're the you and Barack Obama are the only reason I got into politics. But of course, that was because he got famous on birtherism. 
Well, it was also because he has a longtime hard on for Barack Obama because Barack Obama ruthlessly mocked him at the White House Correspondents Center. Right. But he also, I mean, the way he got involved in conservative politics was birtherism, right? I mean, that's how oh, he yeah. got in with that crowd because before that he was a Democrat. That's how Roger Stone got Donald Trump into the conservative demimonde of crazy fucking conspiracy shit like that. On the CNN and Instant Poll, they're saying 53% of debate watchers are saying Biden won the debate versus 39% of Trump's. And the Instant Poll was nine said Biden won and two said it was even. That, that might be the actual outcome of the race. 53-39 is <laughs> <laughs> a real possibility here. No kidding. Look, I, I just think tonight was not, my theory of the case going in was that Trump needed an absolute knockout. He, you know, he absolutely needed to, to slaughter Joe Biden on that stage tonight. And I don't think he got there. I don't think he even got close to getting there. You know, I think the thing with Trump is that he's lowered expectations so much for Biden. But, you know, for the last six months, he's been saying the guys got dementia, the guys got this, got that. So when he talks and he sounds smart, and he makes sense. It, it just the whole case falls apart. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, there's very little that they've invested in. I mean, I'm sure, my, Mike, it's probably millions in digital of them putting out this. What's wrong with Joe Biden? Joe Biden has dementia. You know, all those things on Facebook ads. I, I suspect that that, in, that that investment uh, has blown back on them very, very very badly. I think Trump also dropped it, but his emails comments today too, didn't he? Like he literally went, he literally went that far back in the time machine to 2016 where he dropped like an email, the emails, there's an emails problem, right? There's a laptop problem. It's like, well, the Hunter Biden's laptop from hell has to be a Russian RT talking point, right? Oh God. Yes. Oh, entirely. The sad part of this guys is that we will almost certainly never again see Donald Trump on a debate stage. Well, let let's not get too excited here. <laughs> So there's been a lot of nerves around this debate. A lot of people were scared that Biden might drop the ball, and obviously that did not happen. He did great. I would say even better than when he crushed my boy Bernie. But a lot of people are a little scared that this Hunter Biden laptop thing may boil up. You know, the InfoWars crowd keeps saying it's about to come out. Do we see anything else changing the game here? I don't think Donald Trump Jr. is in any, is in any position to actually reveal anything about Hunter Biden because the whole the whole case fell apart when Borat pranked Rudy, um, the, you know, the, the, the case had fallen apart even before that because not a single reporter in this country, except for Hugh Hewitt and a few of these jerk-offs at the Federalist and elsewhere, you know, were looking at this as a major mainstream story. If you look back at Hillary's emails in 2016, right. it was wall-to-wall -wall New York Times, Washington Post, Boston Globe, everywhere else, okay? Wall Street Journal, everywhere. This is now like page A17 of more crazy shit from Rudy and unverified. But also the Wall Street Journal opinion page ran the story that Trump was very excited about from Kimberly Strassel. Remember that he teased in, during the 60 Minutes interview. Right. And then the Wall Street Journal news page debunked it. Yes, correct. Which is pretty unusual. There's a lot going on with the story, even in Murdoch-owned newspapers, where, you know, you... You scratch through like the first surface of it and it's, you know, a giant steaming pile of horseshit. So you're just not seeing the same 
You know, you're not seeing the same uptake that it got during, you know, Hillary email gate. Yeah, look, this me, this conservative media bubble has gotten so small and so, so extreme and so fringy. I'm not even sure they're convincing themselves anymore with this type of stuff. But there's also a tactical difference. Remember, because of the pandemics, so many Democrats and independents are already voting and have voted early. I think we're sitting at 33, 35 million ballots have already been cast. The remaining votes are yep. disproportionately Republicans that are already with them anyway. I mean, if this guy's going to drop an October right. surprise and drop the big bomb, he better have done it yesterday because there's just not going to be enough votes to move in time to get traction in the media you know, circus and to bleed out of the bubble to actually move the votes that they're going to need to move. It's totally different than 2016 where Republicans were vote by mail and the independents declined to states and undecided were all the ones that were waiting to the last minute to figure out how they were going to cast their ballot and the Comey bomb drops. This is just... Republicans right. are the late vote. They're already there. They're already with them. They better drop something quick. And again, like today, tomorrow, if they're going to actually move the needle on this. Can we agree that Comey has done did worse to Hillary than anyone even in Trump world has even? I mean, Comey really sank Hillary in a way that DNA, DNI Radcliffe yeah. couldn't. Oh, oh, no, Molly, I think you're exactly on point right there. Radcliffe's, you know, thing yesterday was like a forgotten little love tap. And it's going to be, I think it's still shocking to Trump that at at a lot of the the Trump right media complex, that it's just not working. It's just not working. It's not penetrating. It's not out there in the country. It's just, you know, preaching to the choir. And some of that is because the media has gotten better at coverage, that they're less credulous, that they're Absolutely, Molly. And I will say this, the drop off in in accepting that bullshit is in part because the media finally got itself educated to the to the laundry that was used for so long. You know, it emerges from some Russian fucking propaganda website. It gets on a Twitter account, some dipshit like Posobiec or Cernovich or anybody else who's an amplifier in that space, you know, tweets about it. Gateway Pundit picks it up. Breitbart takes it from Gateway. Gateway or Breitbart, you know, Fox picks it up from Breitbart and they launder it. So you take yeah. the craziest shit in the world. And then everybody else goes, oh, well, fuck, Fox is covering it. We have to cover it too. Well, now that's not happening. You know, now the other networks are like, okay, that's the crazy town. We're not doing it. Yeah. And it, it's limited this spread. It's really contained it. It's just kind of like the, it's now sheltered in place, right? We're killing that virus. And the, 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 the reality yeah. is it's just, it's just mm-hmm. sort, of, it's sort yeah. of tired and played out too. I really think people are just tired of the drama. They're just tired of the nonsense and it's just not sticking anymore. It's not believable and it's not sticking and it's so trite. It's literally the same damn playbook. Like have a little bit of creativity, make up some better lies. You know, it's the same thing about emails and a freaking laptop. And right. Freaking, you know, I also think it worked a lot better on Hillary because there was misogyny. Whereas here, he's like the whitest white guy, old white guy you could ever imagine. So it's well, like- uh- I think there was misogyny involved, but I also think, and let's be honest about this, Hillary's lifelong habit of extreme secrecy right, did and, not and, and, and her right. paranoia, yeah, and I'm not saying not the paranoia wasn't justified, I'm just saying right. it was it was real. So when yeah. they started hearing about this, it was like, it opened, right. how it outrageous, opened, you know? Yeah, it opened the door to a lot more of that, but I do, I think that's totally right. But I also think, you guys talked about this before, and I mean, I... It's one of the really the things I don't like about him, but he is like the 
most conservative Democrat, you know, it's hard for them to make all that stuff stick on him, right? That he's like Bernie right. Sanders. I mean, nobody believes that. He's just a complete contrast. He's just so different. There's 47 years of experience. Yeah, he's Joe from Scranton. He, yeah, he's a, the vice president. I mean, there's a lot of vanilla-ness that, yeah, makes it just, just hard to stick. He's never been a lightning rod. Hillary Clinton right. was... Hillary Clinton was, was pushing the envelope on a lot of things. Good for her, to her benefit. I'm doing the right thing. But that became a, she became and leaned into being a cult. Yeah, she leaned into being a cultural lightning rod because she was trying to make change. You got to respect that. But that's going to stick. That was, not, that was never Joe Biden. There was Scranton birtherism tonight. <laughs> <laughs> You're not really from Scranton, Joe. What the fuck was that? Birth certificate. Let's see the birth certificate, Joe. What? I want the the long form the long form Biden birth certificate. What? Why wasn't he from Scranton? I didn't understand that. What the hell was he Trump lived in Scranton about? as a child, and then he moved to Delaware. And so Trump was saying, "You didn't know Scranton. They love me. You don't know them." They blah, blah, blah. He said something about he did that on the stump the other day too. Your father's from Delaware. But I mean, your father was born in Delaware. <laughs> Before we get into things, we have a fun little treat. There are so many insane things happening in the world right now, and two episodes a week just aren't enough to cover it all. So, The New Abnormal is going to release a limited-run series of bonus interviews over the next few weeks for Beast Inside members only. We'll release a new one each Sunday, but listen carefully. Only Beast Inside members will have access to these. So, head over to thenewabnormal.thedailybeast.com to become a Beast Inside member now. That's newabnormal.thedailybeast.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. When picking a commerce platform for your business, you have two choices. Or, I prefer, don't you? That's the sound you'll hear when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell, online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Shopify is the best all-in-one commerce platform capable of handling your business's complexity no matter how big you grow. Step up to Shopify and harness the best converting checkout and the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands like Rothy's, Allbirds, Brooklinen, and so much more. You're probably thinking, sure, but migrating is going to be a headache. Shopify's app store has the migration apps you need to migrate your products, orders, customers, and more from every major e-commerce platform to Shopify. If you're anything like me, you're one of those don't put me in a box people. Everyone who knows me knows. 
knows I'm a don't put me in a box person. And thankfully, Shopify never will because with Shopify, control of your brand and business is always in your hands from your storefront look to your back office operations. I hate when checking out from an online store and then having to pull out my credit card and type in all those numbers. A Shopify store remembers my shipping address and payment information. So if I'm on the couch and my wallet is on the kitchen counter... I don't even have to get up. Stop leaving sales on the table. Switch your business to Shopify and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their business. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash abnormal, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com slash abnormal, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash abnormal. Tim Tiemann is a senior editor and writer at The Daily Beast, and he's going to talk to us about the ridiculousness surrounding the Trump campaign's last days, as well as what they're doing around LBGTQ issues. Hi, Tim Tiemann. <laughs> Good morning. Hello. So you do a lot of really cool writing for The Beast, and you're an editor there, but you also do a lot of really interesting stuff on LGBTQ. This has been a very interesting time. So I feel like there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on right now, especially in Trump world. So can you get us up to date on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, pre-Trump, LGBTQ rights under Obama, obviously we're heading in the right direction. There had been the momentous marriage equality win at the Supreme Court. Um, and, you know, Obama had the ban on trans people serving in the armed forces and things like that. They'd figured out a way through that. With Trump, the anti-LGBTQ animus has been strong, beginning most banner-wise with that ban on trans people serving in the military, which Trump characteristically announced in a series of tweets. But since then, and listeners can go onto the GLAD website, G-L-A-A-D website, to see the full litany of the anti-LGBTQ moves the Trump administration has taken. It's just been one thing after another. We're looking at trans people being denied proper access to health care. We're looking at the Trump administration standing squarely against that Supreme Court case that was won recently on Title VII being applicable to LGBTQ people protecting us from discrimination. The administration stood square against that. And now, and the reason I guess why we're talking this week, we have yet another appearance by a Trump surrogate and a an event, in this case, Tiffany Trump. Yes, please talk to me about Tiffany Trump. Well, she headed down to Florida at the weekend to do one of these gaslighting Earth is square, upside down is up, crazy events where the Trump administration are claiming they are pro-LGBTQ, which is nonsense. I mean, it's from their playbook, which is that they say the thing that just isn't true. We're going to um, protect pre-existing conditions. The No, you're not. And just say it over and over again in the hope that it will stick. The Trump administration have been involved in a kind of pre-election run-up gaslighting project that they are in fact pro-LGBTQ when they are anything but. And the fact fascinating thing to me, I will say, about it is that in a survey conducted by GLAAD, released at the beginning of October, 76% of LGBTQ voters said they were going for Biden. Cool. Okay, that's understandable. He has a good record and he's standing on a very strong pro-LGBTQ equality manifesto. But uh, interestingly, 17%, now that is almost a fifth of LGBTQ voters in America surveyed by GLAAD, are voting Trump or say they are voting Trump. So it reminded me, and as I said in that piece, I mean, the Tiffany Trump thing was a circus and ridiculous in every single way. But it did remind me of the time I grew up in Britain, as you can tell by the accent, in the 70s and 80s. And I grew up, so I was, you know, I'm a 
Thatcher's child, basically. I grew up under Margaret Thatcher. Again, a homophobic, in, intensely homophobic period of time anyway. An intensely homophobic administration which introduced anti-gay laws such as Section 28, which forbid what she called the promotion of homosexuality. If you think about it now, it's a kind of... Yeah, so it's a precursor to the Russian law that Putin has introduced doing exactly the same thing. So that is the time I grew up in. And I will say that even though I grew up in that time and I am not a conservative voter, my parents certainly either did vote conservative or were conservative leaning. And a lot of LGBTQ people liked Thatcher for various reasons, powerful, charismatic, iron lady, blah, blah. I have met gay Thatcher acolytes. So the conservatives who support Trump are not an alien species to me. However strange we may find their affiliation given the intensely anti-LGBTQ animus of this administration. Talk to me about Tiffany Trump. What's she doing? Like, what? (laughs) Just go back to Georgetown Law, study get the degree. I would occasionally see her out and about at Fashion Week. Well, she's being dragooned, like all the kids, into the kind of the charabank of this campaign. I'm guessing because she is young and seems, in Trump terms, relatively hip, she's being given the LGBTQ beat to go and say, hey, we like them. We're okay with the queers. Her speech, listeners should click somewhere and look at it, was bonkers. It was all over the place. I'm not sure if it was intense nerves, which I have sympathy for, speaking in Public, or if she just wasn't in charge of her material, which is understandable, seeing as there is no material there, the Trump administration is not promoted into you. It's, <laughs> a hard it's a bit like selling a car and saying, hey, look at this really beautiful car. And you're in the audience going, the car has no wheels. <laughs> There's no steering wheel in the car. So Tiffany Trump in this speech went on about having gay friends. Now, look, the first thing to do if you're trying to sell yourself as pro-LGBTQ is not to say some of my best friends are gay. It's a <laughs> It's a bit like saying some of my best friends are black. If that's your cell, it really shows you have a big blind spot when it comes to racism and or homophobia. So that's the first thing she did. She then sort of said, my mum was on Broadway. She knew somebody who died of AIDS and my father's going to conquer AIDS. Now, all those sentences, I am actually clarifying that cycle of sentences on the video. (laughs) On the video, these sentences tumble into one another like acrobats in the world's worst circus. So I am not sure where all this was coming from. She clearly wanted to get a message out. It really reminded me of Trump's first gay event where he held the rainbow flag upside down. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew there was a right way to hold that flag? Oh no, there's a right way to hold the rainbow flag. He held it upside down and for me when he held it upside down I was like, yep, that's telegraphing pretty much the fundamental message here that you do not get this. I think the, the interesting thing about Trump and LGBTQ stuff is he's dangerous because he doesn't believe in it. He's most dangerous because this is Mike Pence's project. Mike Pence, his VP, is the signed up far right evangelical here. He is the one that is the driving force behind denying LGBTQ people their rights and civil liberties, right? Trump is the useful vehicle here. Now, Pence is dangerous, but once you know a bigot, it's a bit like on the street. You see a bigot, you know a bigot, you can cross the street or engage with whatever. You know the bigot is there. When, when people are not bigots, but are, are advancing a course of bigotry, it makes them really dangerous because they're tabula rasas. They can do sort of anything. We are useful to Trump in the sense that we are a useful weapon for his base. We're a useful weapon to get Amy Coney Barrett onto the Supreme Court. We're sort of collateral damage. 
that he doesn't really care about. And the interesting thing for me is, you know, Tiffany Trump in that speech said, my dad has always been pro you. And the interesting thing to me there is she may really believe that because she may have grown up with a person who didn't really give a hoot one way or another. But as president, of course, he's given more than a hoot. He's just given license to it. So I don't know about Donald Trump's personal bigotry, but it doesn't matter if he's a bigot personally or not. He's advancing a course of bigotry for his own ends, and that honestly makes him just as dangerous as the bigot with a pair of keys in their fist ready to punch her in the face on the street. Yeah, I think that's true. It was sort of baffling to me because I had never understood why we never saw Tiffany on the campaign trail, and that question has really been answered. Well, we didn't see her on the campaign trail because she was waiting for a disco track and to enact the fight is right. <laughs> and, and the only event that was going to happen was a gay event. I don't know. Maybe they were waiting for her curling tongs to heat up. I've literally got no idea. But I think the gay thing, gay in a lot of people's minds means young, means hip. And I think in the campaign terms, it means, oh, who can do this? Well, Ivanka, no, she's not going to go near it because she, her and Jared, just it's kind of too low grade for them. It's perfect for Tiffany. Tiffany also, as I said in that piece, think about the rotten state of relations she's had with her family and her dad over the years. Those kids in this campaign, whatever I think about them personally, they're clearly trying to do something, sort of prove themselves, kind of budget King Lear kind of way. And we can see it. And the thing that's painful watching that clip, as offensive as I find the gaslighting and the lying about being pro-LGBTQ when they're doing everything to take away my civil rights, the thing that's painful is watching her try and match up, try and do her dad's bidding in this very small space and poorly attended space as well. I mean, there's hardly anybody there. Anyone in that audience has blown in on some wind but kind of blew in off the street. <laughs> so, yeah. I think calling Tiffany a budget King Lear is about right. And I do think it is interesting to see just how little, I mean, the fact that they chose Tiffany as the surrogate shows how little they really care. Yeah, they, the interesting thing here, right, is they don't care about LGBTQ rights in a positive way. I, they've done everything they can to take them away. And they don't even care about them that much in an anti-way because they're going to send someone as low grade as Tiffany to go and sell a bogus message. So what they're doing here is the minimal engagement to try and gaslight as many votes as they can out of that 17% that I talked about at the beginning. It's not going to be a rich shoal of votes that they're trawling for, but there are some there. And if they're a selfish, money-minded, materialistic, gay people, trans people out there who want to vote for this, then, you know, they can see it here. What I would say to your listeners, in a few months' time, the Supreme Court are going to consider another LGBTQ case, this time coming out of Philadelphia, where a Catholic childcare agency are seeking to deny rights applications from same-sex parents. Their case has advanced to the Supreme Court, and so this case will be focused this time on the issues of religious liberty and religious freedom. These are the two key things that the Trump administration, Mike Pence at the forefront, have been weaponizing against LGBTQ people in state legislatures, in urban legislatures, and now at the Supreme Court. This weird, amorphous, non-meaning phrase that people's religious liberty, as they call it, people's religious freedom, as they call it, are somehow 
somehow infringed upon by having to treat LGBTQ people equally and with a modicum of respect. This case is now at the Supreme Court in a matter of months. The Trump administration is obviously supporting that case. When people talk about marriage equality being in danger, if Amy Coney Barrett is installed there and goes 6-3, marriage equality itself is a banner thing. We are nervous about that. But what you might see, and the same thing with women's rights on a far-right-leaning court, is the chipping away of these rights and these liberties to render them meaningless. And so this religious liberty and religious freedom case is really important. And so when people are casting their vote or when people are thinking about this thing and if people are thinking, hey, the Trump administration, okay, A, they're really not okay, consistently not okay, but they are at the forefront of incremental and determined effort to take away our civil rights. And religious liberty and religious freedom will become a real set of buzzwords which will be recurring a lot. Do not let their gentle sounding nature fool you about what their real intent is. So good. Thank you so much, Tim. Gary Peters is a junior senator from Michigan caught in a very tough race. So we're going to talk to him about the state of his race and how important it is to win so that Democrats can have a Senate majority in 2021. This is your, is this your first re-election campaign? Yes, right? It is, yeah. First, uh, first for the Senate. I was elected in 14. So tell us about your race. Well, you know, Michigan is uh, is a true battleground state. And so my race uh, is competitive right to the very end, as we always uh, expected. And Michigan is a battleground for the presidential race. Hillary Clinton lost here and Trump won uh, in 14 and in a close race. And it just shows uh, that Michigan is uh, truly a complicated place and, and is very, very competitive. And you have to run hard right to, to the very uh, end. And in fact, in the presidential race, I think it's impossible to be president of the United States if you don't win Michigan. That's just the, the way the electoral college is now. It may not be a sufficient condition, but clearly necessary. So that's why we see Donald Trump uh, campaigning in the Michi- in Michigan, uh, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris uh, have, have been here. I had the opportunity just recently to uh, campaign uh, with uh, President Biden, and I suspect he'll be back in Michigan uh, soon. But that also makes my Senate race uh, very, very competitive. Uh, and the amount of money that's being poured into this race now is uh, extensive. Mitch McConnell knows uh, that we have, uh, Democrats have a very real shot to take uh, the majority uh, in the Senate. And in a lot of ways, the Senate is even more important than the presidency when you consider uh, how Mitch McConnell blocked uh, so much of what President Obama uh, tried to do through his uh, administration. So you know, we have to make sure Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have friends uh, in the Senate. And our very real narrow path gets a whole lot more diff- difficult if we lose uh, Michigan. And that's why McConnell, over just over the last uh, three weeks, between his super PAC and the Republicans, Senate committee uh, have put in $20 million of negative, nasty, false ads that all the fact checkers say are, are false and smears. They don't care about the truth. They're just dumping money in. Plus, I have Betsy DeVos uh, and her family. The DeVos family has created a super PAC uh, just to go after me, and they're dumping millions of dollars uh, as well. So this is really coming down to, to crunch time. Uh, we have to run very hard, and uh, certainly uh, we have to marshal all of our forces to make sure we win this state. One of the things I think is interesting about the the uh, candidate you're running against is that he doesn't have that he's a Republican anywhere on his website. No, that's right. No, he doesn't. He, he has said that he supports uh, Donald Trump 
two thousand percent, which which is a pretty big percent to, to yeah. support somebody. <laughs> so a lot of people would say a hundred is is where it ends, but two thousand <laughs> is interesting. Yeah, that's uh, I'm not I haven't wrapped my head around the math of that, but that's a lot. And then you look at some of his uh, writings uh, to his supporters. He says, "quote uh, He's just like Trump." End of quote. Uh, but then uh, in public, it's a different view. And and in fact, after he when he lost uh, uh, two years ago, when he decided to run against me, uh, what they did is they erased all of his Facebook posts. They erased everything on social media. They just cleared it completely off. Uh, and then uh, and then he just has gone out raising money, has, doesn't talk to the press. In fact, at the last two years that he's been running against me, for 500 days, uh, he didn't even do a, a local interview with any local press because he, he hasn't said anything. They're just raising money. And uh, he's trying to to reinvent himself, but we know exactly who he is and what he's all about. Um, let's talk about pre-existing conditions because that is a big issue. And I saw that incredible video of your opponent saying that he that he, he just couldn't answer the question about what Trump care would be because there is no Trump care, and you know the the emperor has no clothes. Talk to us about Obamacare saving it, saving pre-conditions, and what you can do as a Democrat. Well, it is absolutely uh, critical uh, to, to do that. And we know that the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, uh, is under significant threat with uh, the Supreme Court nominee that's moving forward. Her, her writings are clear that she believes that that law is wrong and she would uh, vote to, to likely will vote to uh, to overturn it. Uh, so it's truly on the ballot here in Michigan. And just uh, statistics. I mean, we, we have uh, several million people in the state of Michigan who have pre-existing conditions. So that, and those production uh, protections are gone. Uh, they're in serious trouble. We, we also had the Medicaid expansion as a result of the Affordable Care Act, which provided health care for over 800,000 people uh, in, in our state. That could go away. Uh, the prescription drug prices would go up. Uh, the ability to keep uh, young folks on your uh, parents' policy until they get up on their feet and get their, their life moving. You know, all of those things are, are at risk. And, and you're right about my opponent. My opponent uh, basically uh, has shallow talking points, uh, and, and he's memorized them. If you ask him the question, he'll give you his 15-second uh, memorized answer. And then if you ask him to elaborate, he'll give you the exact same 15-second uh, uh, talking points. Uh, clearly, it pans. You, you're mentioning a video that circulated quite widely. He was on a local show, and, and the uh, gentleman who questioned him said, uh, you know, you, you want to repeal uh, the Affordable Care Act, uh, but you, you know, the Republicans have not had a plan, as you mentioned. They've had 10 years to come up with a plan. Yeah. They don't have, they don't have a plan. So he said, what is your plan? And he met that question with a blank stare uh, and then said he wasn't a politician. Um, yeah, which is if he's not a politician, why is he running for office? Can you talk to us a little bit about the mail? Because the last time you were on here, we talked about the mail. And I know you've been really involved in trying to save the mail. Can you talk to me about where we are with that? Well, we, uh, in fact, we just put out a uh, report uh, from uh, the committee to kind of look at what's been happening with delivery rates. Uh, as you know, and as we talked about last time, delivery uh, rates dropped dramatically starting in July with the new postmaster general coming in and instituting a number of policies uh, that had the effect of slowing down the mail. Uh, right, which is what they were there for, which is why he was, right? Right. And if we looked at the numbers, you know, the, uh, the Postal Service strives to have 95% uh, delivery within their delivery parameters. And, uh, and then 
then it dropped in Michigan, uh, in Detroit region, to 60, only 60% on time. So nearly half the mail and for several days. And I know I, I talked about some of the stories uh, that I heard from folks uh, when we were on, uh, on your podcast uh, before. But we just did a report to look at how it's recovered. It's still, even now, delivery times have not recovered to where it was prior to his policies uh, around the country. But it's been most dramatic uh, in the Detroit region. Uh, and uh, it was 60%. Now it's uh, roughly 80%, but still a long ways from where it was before in the in the 90s. And, and it's curious that although other parts of Michigan have recovered uh, to a greater extent, uh, the metro Detroit area still is, uh, is slow and is one of the slowest areas around the country. Do you think that's intentional? You know, when, when you see the, the fact that those numbers have not recovered when they have in other places, is it certainly leads to lots of questions that need to continue to be answered. And I've been pressing uh, the uh, inspector general to try to get to the bottom of it and find out exactly why, what is the reason uh, for that. But the way uh, from an election standpoint right now, we we are uh, certainly encouraging folks, especially now uh, that we're so close to the election, is if you have an absentee uh, ballot in your possession, and, and around 3 million people have asked for absentee ballots, uh, that when you fill it out, you should drop it off directly at the clerk's office. Uh, many, many jurisdictions, most all the clerks around the state now have drop boxes that outside where you can just drive by and drop it in to, to make sure that you get it. And uh, because uh, in Michigan, the ballots have to be in by uh, election day. So uh, you can't risk late delivery if you want to ensure your ballot, drop it in the drop box. And the Secretary of State has set up uh, a website where you can actually uh, confirm that uh, the clerk has received it, which uh, we're encouraged every, everyone to do. How worried are you about voter intimidation? Well, it's, uh, it's always a concern uh, as to what we could see uh, at, uh, at the polling places. Uh, we have uh, put together a very robust uh, election protection team. We uh, have recruited volunteers. A lot of attorneys are coming out so that we have representation at the polling sites. Uh, we also uh, had uh, our Secretary of State has been leaning in uh, to let folks know that uh, it's inappropriate to show up at a voting place uh, with uh, with a weapon uh, that's visible. I think I'm sure many of your listeners recall the images of, of uh, folks at our state capitol with, with weapons uh, in the capitol. And I think also you, all of you, I'm sure everybody on the podcast uh, knows about the plot to kidnap our, our governor uh, by a group. Um, thank you so much, Gary. This was great to have you on. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Well, thank you, Molly. It's great to great to be with you, and I appreciate you raising uh, these issues. This uh, this is a critical time in the history of our our country, and as I'm uh, out uh, getting folks uh, engaged and fighting this massive amount of money that's being dumped uh, against me, as I say, they may have more money, but we have more votes. We just have to yeah. have to turn them out. And and I, and for me, uh, this election's not not just about winning. We have to win big. We have to send a strong, clear signal uh, that the politics of hate, the politics of division that we have seen these last four years do, does not represent this country. We have to soundly reject it uh, at, the, at the polls and uh, start healing this country. And now we come to our uh, fan favorite, one of our many segments, Fuck That Guy. Rick Wilson, who is your Fuck That Guy? Today's Fuck That Guy is a guy that I ordinarily wouldn't these days take the time to wipe the shit off my shoes if I walked through him. But it is a guy named John Cardillo. John Cardillo is a disgraced ex-New York cop, now a commentator on Newsmax. <laughs> and he has, he has a web show on Newsmax. Um, and John Cardillo posted a picture, Joe Biden, hugging his son. 
And do you and, think that was the most dunked on tweet of the entire? Uh, the dragging and the ratioing was so well deserved yeah. because what Cardillo posted it was, does this look like an appropriate father son interaction to you? <laughs> now, John, I know you're dumb as a bag of hair, <laughs> but if you really want to go down the pathway of creepy fucking family behavior, how about Donald Trump? Because Joe Biden hugging his son in a lovely posed photograph and giving him a kiss on the cheek is nothing compared to Donald Trump sporting a giant fucking. Yeah, I'm cutting his mic like the debate moderator is going to have to do to Trump tonight. <laughs> All right. Fine, Jesse, but I will just say this. The, the reaction to that is a very telling indicator because, look, John Cardillo is a nothing burger in the universe. He means nothing at all. Okay. But what that was was a perfect representation of Trumpian cruelty. Yeah. Where that's the point where the abuse of a family that had been racked by tragedy and the idea that it was somehow perverse or bizarre and therefore a figure of fun for those people. As I said, it's, it's a distillation of the shittiness of Trumpism and also John Cardillo. Seems like something you should beep to. I'm sorry, Jesse, but yeah. you have to beep all of that. <laughs> My fuck that guy, the president's large adult fail son, Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> Perhaps. Do you, are you having a sinus problem? Are you okay? Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps <laughs> um, the Trump allies. I'm just trying to ignore you so I can get this done. As you, as you should. <laughs> um, the Trump allies have been low key trying to shop this story about there being do you know something on Hunter's laptop, and uh, but they've they've been careful because they know that their this story is bullshit. Today, Junior was like. Just went full RT, full Infowars, and just was like, there's stuff on the laptop. I know it. And so for that, Junior, you are, once again, my fuck that guy. On that note, we'll wrap up this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking with smart folks from The Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. We're just getting started and don't want you to miss an episode. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm Molly Jongfast and he's the Rick Wilson. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you again on the next episode. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.